means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing Chapter 7, The Ministry of Magic. Anna is on the episode for the first time in Order of the Phoenix. Yes! Hi, Emo Harry. Yay! Let's just throw you (laughs) right under the bus to start. What are some of your non-spoilery thoughts about Order of the Phoenix? Um, I fall down on Jen's side. It is my least favorite of the seven books. Not, you know, like, I mean, least favorite Harry Potter book. Obviously, I still think it's a great book. Lots of things to like. It's a good distinction. Harry is not my favorite. It's just not. Any um, reason particularly why? You went through you went through some stuff. Be emo. Like Elizabeth said, he's a teenage angst. That's fine. But like, he doesn't seem to want to try and help himself despite his support group as the book goes on. So like, as you get deeper into the book and emo Harry's still around, that's when I start to get annoyed. Can I ask you a question about that? Sure. Is it the teenage emotion like itself? Like, can you understand where Harry is coming from and where that emotion exists? Or is it literally just reading about the emotion? You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's a good question. I, I mean, I'm. it's probably not my favorite thing to read because I'm one of those people who like, when I watch or read something that's super awkward, I immediately feel that awkwardness and emoness like it's my own. So yeah. I don't enjoy yeah. experiencing it as I'm reading it. I do think that's part of it. Um, the first part, which you were saying, like, it's not that I can't understand where it's all coming from as I'm reading it. Again, I think it's mostly that he's not finding coping mechanisms for himself as the book goes on. And he's just staying in that, that place that he's in. Um, but whatever, he's 15. So I think it's more the latter to answer your question. Fair enough. I I mean, I think that's an important distinction to make. And, and that's fine. If that's the case for anybody reading Order of the Phoenix, if you're just not a fan of that style of writing, I mean, that's just a personal preference choice. Uh, to me, you know, I'm I'm not going to argue that because again, personal preference, but I think that's a testament to, the author's writing oh, yeah. uh, to make you then feel those things. I'm like, that's really good writing. Whether you like it or not is, I guess, the, the question. But I mean, I've got a lot of things to say about J.K. Rowling, but one thing you got to give the woman is she's a great writer. In this particular series. <laughs> that's a debate for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have we have a lot to talk to uh, or talk about in this in this chapter because Again, I'm stunned that it's taken this long to get you on an episode mm-hmm. for a book. So you have a lot to comment on. This is true. We've this had is some true. debates and we've had some things My to discuss. Goodness, so. ladies. Yeah, you <laughs> We got some stuff. We got some stuff. Uh, opinions will be a plenty. So, but first, let's get to this chapter uh, which involves the Ministry of Magic. Harry starts out at Grimald Place, where he wakes up at, I think, half past five. Mm-hmm. 
How? How? I, I cannot understand. He felt like someone was screaming in his ear. Okay, well, first of all, my my first issue... My first issue is, going back to how he is as a character at this point in time, ahead of a hearing that you're going to have, I honestly probably wouldn't have slept at all anyway. Yeah, my anxiety would have been through the roof. Agreed. So it's a miracle that he even got to sleep in the first place. Agreed. But then to just magically, literally magically wake up at like <laughs> half past five... Like, I, I don't know how he does it, but he has a little interaction at Grimwald Place beforehand. Uh, and I do mean little interaction because he is like zoned out for it. As much as he wanted to be having a seat at the table with everybody else. Well, earlier. I think that's to be yeah, it understood is. too. It's an understandable emotional response. He might response. have slept, but he's still anxious as can be. Mm-hmm. Toast like just sawdust in his mouth and i don't even know why they tried to feed him <laughs> right uh, they even had an interesting conversation though because lupin was asking some interesting questions that i think if he was not in an anxiety ridden mm-hmm. state he would have been like "Ooh, that's an interesting thing which i do think lupin even i think that was a conscious decision on lupin's part maybe not the subject matter but just to continue on with the conversation they had already been having because i know there was like a line that like when harry walked in lupin looked at him for a moment and then just continue talking to Tonks. So I think this is one of Lupin's moments where he like knows, okay, we, like we're not gonna fuss over Harry. We're not gonna like Harry needs to feel anxious, and we're just gonna talk and try and be normal. Yeah. Essentially, the rest of the chapter is going to the Ministry of Magic, mm-hmm. and we get a description of a the process of getting in through the visitors' entrance. We get a description of the main atrium lobby area however you want to describe it is the word they use and then we get a description of different floors which we will give you and some inside uh behind the scenes if you will (laughs) take your child to work day kind of (laughs) yeah uh where we get some of the offices that are being used so and there's some interesting conversations to have there as well so as arthur is traversing the muggle world yeah you get this kind of dichotomy between magic and technology mm-hmm. in a sense and you know the real world application is like magic is just something that science hasn't proven yet or is that the phrase you mean like from a mogul perspective yeah yeah like something so. we can't understand we think of as like magic or right the force but there's or, some yeah. scientific thing to explain it um, there's some people who would say no. I'm sure there's a lot. <laughs> That's the general cliche phrase. Yes. But now we're like getting into it because Arthur has a bunch of these questions. He doesn't know how to handle muggle currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he has this moment where he the machine is out of order and he's yes. like, and it's he not still working. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a very interesting Arthur moment, and then you see more of it in his office, which we'll get to a little bit later. So the visitor entrance which is a tourist spot in London. If you uh, know the ins and outs of London, you can see the uh, the phone booth. Mm-hmm. One of those, uh, yes, kids, phone booths existed. Yes. Um, where you can actually go in. Collect calls for a thing. <laughs> yep. Um, how, and I'm sure I can't imagine how many people, I'm sure the 62442 buttons are completely worn out. Oh, they, they yeah, must for sure. Be. I did it myself. Yeah. But what I was going to ask you... How long was it before you realized the two six two four four two spelled out magic? 
Oh. Because I think it took me putting in the code Probably. in a London phone booth to figure out, oh my God, it's like... magic. <laughs> I promise I'm an intelligent person, everyone. I feel like this is one of those memes. <laughs> and please tell us if you're just listening to this now and she just dropped that knowledge on you. And I feel like it's one of those memes where I was today years old when. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, did you not realize it? I don't did think I, I ever like. Yes. I, but but to your point, it's until you put in the number, you probably yeah. wouldn't even think right. of it. Right, exactly. Because uh, I that's what I did. I'd never <laughs> even really thought twice of it. But if I had to press it in, I'd be like, wait a second. Yeah. So... Well, there you go. The more you know. Fun fact. Uh, yeah, so the code is 62442. And then th that ride down is an interesting just experience. And then you get dropped off to the Ministry of Magic, which I, I feel like is an important description just to get that visual sense of what they're walking into with the dark wooden walls and floor, uh, this... Uh, the fireplaces lining the, uh, does it, it's just lining the one wall? No, it's lining both walls because there's entry and In... exit. Yeah. Yes. Um, I have a question for you about the fireplaces. Yeah. Do you think those wizards and witches who use that's their transportation to and from work, do they have to pay to be connected to the flu network? Like, is it like, <laughs> you know, like a, like a cable subscription? It's like a flu network subscription. <laughs> That's a fantastic question, <laughs> and if they're not being charged, I feel like the Ministry of Magic is missing out here on an opportunity. Sure. Somebody is. I, I will say this, though. I definitely think you have to be registered for it. Well, no, because remember in Goblet of Fire, Arthur makes some sort of statement about, like, I had the Dursley's fireplace connected to the network for the day. Yeah. That he had some friend contact in the flu department. So, like... Obviously, you do have to get special, like, government approval, whatever. It's, it's like, sign tracked in some get, way, yeah. Like, connected to it. But I feel like to get into the ministry especially, like, that requires a next level up of, like, security clearance, if you will. Like, you go into the place of... I think so, because there clearly isn't... You can apparate into it, too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I mean... Maybe. So, I mean, yes... There definitely is a base level of registration that needs to go on for all flu networks. Um, but yeah, I guess that's true. If you could just apparate inside the atrium anyway. Also, that seems odd that you'd just be like, Agreed. Oh, you know, I would want to visit the White House today, apparate. <laughs> like, I feel like that's yeah, just odd. The White House isn't letting that happen. No. But that's true. It's like, place of government. Let's just go right to the center of it. It's weird. I don't know. Do you want to get into the main attraction of the atrium? I'm here for whatever. I distracted you with my flu comment, so. <laughs> you did. <laughs> but that's I'll a fair point. I'll let you take it from here. Um, so we have the fountain at the center of the atrium. Mm -hmm. And there's a depiction of a tall wizard, or the wizard is the tallest of the statues. Yes. Then you have the, a witch that's the second tallest. Then you have centaur, goblin, and house elf. And all of the creatures, being the centaur, goblin, house elf, are all looking up at the witch and wizard. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to get into our AP English of it all... Which you, I think we need to. I think we need to. There's obviously some political things that she's getting at here. Uh, first of all, can I just say right off the bat, I'm stunned that they even have a house elf in this thing. True. 
I think yeah. that's a big win for house elves to even be <laughs> on this thing, considering how like they're generally treated. Yeah, that's true. But I think it is just like the only reason is because I mean, why then would they even have a centaur and a goblin on there? Like, I think they're literally just trying. Well, Anna, the to Goblin Rebellion of seventeen ninety one at the Witch and Wizard. <laughs> like, they're not. It's not so much that it's that overthought. It's that doesn't matter what level you are servant to free creature you're looking up at us i think i think goblin and centaur have to be on there because i think they've presented enough problems to the general visiting world where it's like no 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 we are going to be represented or else we're causing problems but it's not like any of them are represented in the government there's a well, goblin liaison office right. but that's it no you're true so how many goblins or centaurs are even walking in to see this fountain? Well, and I think if you if you remember the uh, centaurs from book one, so I'm not spoiling anything, but like Bane and Ronan, mm -hmm. I'm sure if you went into the Forbidden Forest and asked them their two cents on the Ministry of Magic, I'm sure you wouldn't get very light, airy, pleasant responses. I'm sure they'd have a lot to tell you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure if you walked into Gringotts and asked them what they thought about their position in the Wizarding Realm, I'm sure they would have a bunch to tell you about it too. I don't think they're happy. No. Yeah. But they're in a different position, I think, because they're still technically independent yeah, beings. Being paid. Right. Or allowed to be doing whatever they want to yeah. do. Mm -hmm. House elves aren't. They're still generally enslaved. Well, because they're brainwashed to not even realize it is enslavement. So, which just surprises me that they even have... Like, who made that decision to be like... I do. I had that question, too. When was it built and who built it? Because it is, like you said, clearly trying to make a statement. Yeah. That's ridiculous, but... I'm just throwing this out there. Do you think, since we're talking about the, the creatures looking up at the witch and wizard, do you think there's any symbolism in the witch still being below the wizard? Oh, damn. It's I've, in my notes. Okay. Of course I do. Okay. I, I agree. I was, I for, the, figuring, for the record, I agree. <laughs> I was going to bring it up. I was figuring, you know, the creatures to me are the obvious problem with the statue. The obvious misrepresentation. And egregious. That's an of, egregious. Exactly. Yeah. But the witch is significantly lower. But also read the descriptions that are given to both the wizard and the witch. The wizard who is tallest is described as noble. While the witch described as beautiful why like i feel like you know we didn't know what we know about jk now but going through and rereading a lot of as intensely as we are which we keep talking about a lot more problematic issues with jk have been popping out at me and i feel like this is one of them just kind of those un subconscious biases stereotypes that do you gender think roles that she puts in do you think that's her personal thoughts and biases or do you think she's commenting on social norms with the creatures i think yes she's commenting on social norms the witch and wizard i think is unconscious okay you and i have had the conversation mm -hmm. before regarding like sirius and molly right of how should parents be represented how should they interact with children whether it be it their own or others <laughs> And that gender norm. And I think that's one of the things I, that started opening my eyes. And I'm just spotting it more throughout 
her writing now is her seemingly I, I think she must really believe in these gender norms because the way they're being included in the books they don't feel like they're making specific points they feel like this is just how she views the so world so you don't think it's at all that just men are generally taller than women no i agree in no i agree with you no i agree with you completely <laughs> yes men are generally taller than women but in a statue like that no, if you cared you could make them of equal no height. i i i completely agree with you. you're right you're 100 percent right um no it jumped out to me too the whole thing was odd and i don't think it's a mistake I, I think, oh no! No, I think it's, it's she's clearly trying to make purposeful. a commentary with the fountain. Also, note of the fountain is the change that gets dropped in the pool are donations to St. Mungo's, which I think is interesting, and that's kind of taking a, I mean, gosh, if you've ever been to a public fountain, or uh, shoot, I was in Disney at the Big Thunder Railroad, they had a <laughs> creek, and there was just. There's probably like a thousand dollars in yes. this creek of just change. Well, we didn't even go to Cinderella's Wishing Well. <laughs> I can, I only, can imagine. only imagine, yeah. So I mean, there she's taking something from the real world and just dropping it right uh, into the Wizarding whatever. World. Um, I think they use yeah. it for good things. Yes. Well, they say it's going to St. Mungo's. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, that's me being very uh, suspicious of the Ministry of Magic. Yeah, wonder fair enough. They've earned that. Yeah. Wonder why I would have that opinion. Um, so we get past the atrium and we get on the lift. Oh, wait, before we get on the lift. Okay. You're skipping over Eric, the security guard. And I have questions. I'm so sorry. About Eric, the security guard, Dan. This is the most Anna thing ever. I'm sorry, but it is. Oh, I want to know. All right. So in case you don't remember Eric, the security guard, Harry had to go and present his wand to him. But he also took what is described as a long golden rod and scanned Harry front and back with it. Mm-hmm. What was it looking for? Wizards don't have guns. Wizards don't have metal detonators for bombs. What What? What was he? Because he did something different with Harry's wand. What exactly was the purpose of the long golden rod? Uh, maybe it's just a dark magic detector specifically like anything that's dark magic specific okay now that you just said that now i'm thinking concealment charms to see is this really is he trying to mask his actual appearance that could be it invisibility cloak like something like this makes me feel better okay see this is what i wanted to ask thank you i'm so happy i also have another question about eric the security guard for the spoiler section (laughs) okay all right okay (laughs) did not see that this happening at all so there you go fun trivia question for you what is the security guard's name i'll stop distracting you now so now we get on the lift and we go through i'm just going to give descriptions of the different floors we have level seven which is magical game and sport british and irish quidditch gobstones and ludicrous patents yeah why are patents ludicrous like, what would define it as a ludicrous patent? And do they have a different floor for just regular patents? And do they call it regular patents? <laughs> like, Not I don't understand. their breakdown that they give us. I, I don't understand. Okay, maybe that's where the guy who wanted to bring the flying carpet for 12 in. I guess. But uh, what a, it's just a weird thing to throw in there. I'm like, okay. Uh, you have level six, which is magical transport, including the flu network that we mentioned earlier for uh, registering for that. Brooms, 
port keys and apparition, um, which we've seen all forms of those already. So obviously the Ministry of Magic does track that in some way, shape, or form. Uh, you have level five, which is international magical cooperation, which involves magical trading, international law, and the International Confederation of Wizards, which, if you've watched the Fantastic Beasts series, that plays a role. Yeah. That was one of my favorite parts of Fantastic You have level four, uh, magical creatures, including the Beast, Being, and Spirit Division, goblins, and pests. Notice no centaurs in there. I guess they would be under beast, probably. Probably, yeah. If then I was centaur, I'm like, why do the goblins get their own thing and not us? And then now you're creating a <laughs> division I'm sure between those two. Those are all things. Do you think the spirit division is the one who had to like ban Merle? Hundred percent. From... Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I, I and I have, and I know we've done a little bit of a deep dive on it before when we talked about like mm-hmm. how do you like yeah, yeah. specifically control Myrtle? Yep. I have so many questions about the spirit division, like endless questions, but I don't think any of us or her have the answers to that yet. Exactly. I don't think so either. So we'll belay that for a little bit and get on to level three. Magical accidents and catastrophes, including magical reversals squad, uh, the obliviators, and another weird description of muggle-worthy excuses. Oh, yeah, that was a weird one. I don't understand what that's even supposed to be. Well, I have no idea yeah. what that is. I, I, like, it feels very anti-muggle. It must be? Because I, 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 it's like excuses. So is that like where people go to try and give their excuses for why they broke some sort of magic law? But, I, but then that's, but that's called a... muggle-worthy? Right, so they're like giving away that this is a joke office potentially because right, exactly. that's derogatory. Right, it's weird. It's very weird. I, I, yeah. yeah, so I have a bunch of questions about that too. But moving on again, because probably no answers. Probably no answers. Uh, level two magical law enforcement, where they deal with the improper use of magic, ors, the wizen gamut. Yeah, uh, so th- there's a lot going on there as well. Uh, we get into. We get into some of the offices here, but I, I do want to mention before we get into some of the offices. Enchanted windows. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Ministry of Magic that came down, essentially a lift, into the Ministry of Magic. So Harry poses a question like, aren't we underground? Why is there like sun shining or mm-hmm. rain or whatever? And Mr. Weasley literally gives you the explanation of like, oh yeah, maintenance gets to choose <laughs> Whatever they want. Like, I liked the however many days it was, two months of hurricanes. <laughs> right. Because they wanted like better pay or something yeah, like that, better yeah. benefits. It's an interesting touch. Uh, also, magical maintenance is a very interesting job, I feel like. Agreed. Agreed. I feel like you have to be a really talented wizard for that. Because you might see some weird stuff that you have to fix. <laughs> All I can think to say is so spoilery. <laughs> But I agree. Yes. And I know what you're thinking of, and <laughs> it would be a spoiler. So uh, so anyway, we get into the the offices of um, the Aurors to start off with. And we go by Kingsley's office, which is just an explosion of serious black. <laughs> it's just serious everywhere. And a bunch of red flashing, like, push pins yeah, on a map. Yeah, sounds super fun and yeah. annoying. Like... I feel like I would want them to stop flashing. Flashing? Yeah, yes. that's fair. 
Um, and Harry notes that there's an interesting interaction between Kingsley and Arthur, mm-hmm. and he's about to say hi to Kingsley, and then gets his foot stomped on by Arthur. Is like, dude, do you not realize that yeah. this whole thing is undercover? Yeah, we're not supposed to be friends. No. Why would you know Kingsley, Harry? Yeah, you have no way of knowing this or. Uh, and especially one so high up in the Aura's office. So it's like, although how is he so high when he can't catch Sirius Black? Like, that's his sole job. And he has all of these posters. You know what I'm saying, though? Yeah. Like, that's a risk that you run in this. It is. Is because... And if you don't... Well, he sounds like he's pretty good at creating different leads, like asking for reports about motorcycles and fire arms, fire feet, I think he calls them. Fire legs. Oh, legs. So he must do a good enough job of acting like he's finding legitimate leads that they're not worried about it. Do you ever, because they have a little banter back and forth there and mm-hmm. Kingsley says fire legs and Arthur's right. like, well, if you read my report, you know it's firearms. Do you ever think they have that back and forth and they know it's undercover, but there's a joke in there and it's like, whoa, too much. <laughs> oh yeah, most definitely. You went too far there, friend. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Like, <laughs> Arthur... Watch yourself. Like, Do you also actually think Kingsley is that high? I mean, I know Tom says oh, seniority when we're introduced and, that yeah. he's higher up than she is. But I would kind of think that finding Sirius Black would kind of be like you give that to somebody you kind of want out of the way because they clearly didn't find him. They spent an entire year with like this mad search yeah. for him, dementors at Hogwarts. I get what you're saying. happened. So do they really think they're going to find him at this point? I think that's a valid point for sure. And I definitely understand that. The other the other side of the coin is it's such a high profile like get sure. yeah. that if you do get it, you're made. That's true. Forever. That is very true. So it's like, you know, I'm sure there are other ors trying to prove themselves that yeah. would love to that's have that assignment. True. That's true. But no, but I get your point too of like, probably a case just to bury you somewhere mm-hmm. yeah um, i don't think for the record i don't think that's why kingsley is on that case i think kingsley is well known as i a mean there's order, multiple but... reasons but well we can get into that too because there's a whole lot of strings being pulled everywhere <laughs> anyway we get we get to arthur's office and it's obviously very muggle themed there's a toaster that mm-hmm. uh, has issues. He gets a memo fiddling about... Fiddling gloves. Yeah, fiddling gloves. He gets a memo, which we haven't even talked about, the little flying memos. But he gets a memo of regurgitating toilets. toilets that need to be addressed like immediately. Third one this month. That yeah, seems like a problem. Yeah. Do you think he then consults with like maintenance about, like, hey, what what would you have for this? Knowing Arthur, yes. Arthur seems to be just on great terms with people throughout the ministry. He's a people person. Yeah. Like, yeah. and People like him. Anyway, Harry notices a family picture. Mm. And we do notice that someone's not in the family picture because they walked out the frame. Percy is not in the family picture. Well, first of all, just the magic of the picture version of Percy understanding <laughs> the family vibe and yeah. being like, I'm not supposed to be here. And just like walks out. That it's is just intriguing a fascinating thing about magic portraits, yes. Before we go into the depths of their relationship, I do just want to say how much I feel like reading this chapter that Arthur was the best possible person who could be bringing Harry to his hearing. Oh, why do you say that? Because, and this is why I think it will lead into 
the discussion with Percy is because he's just such a great dad. Mm. Like, I think, okay, so the other people who were in the room who could have potentially been taking him would have been Sirius, his godfather. Obviously, we all know why he can't. That would have been awkward, him walking into Kingsley's he, office with him. But he wasn't, yeah. and he would have been the one to bring Harry. I feel like that wouldn't be a good choice because he's too um, short-tempered, hot-tempered. Like, he, with what happens at the end of the chapter, finding out the last-minute change, that would have made him furious. Like, I feel like it would have been bad for Harry's, where he's at psychologically leading into this hearing. Okay. Lupin would probably be my second choice because he's calm and trying to like keep Harry calm. He's not well liked at the ministry. Either. He's not well liked at the ministry <laughs> and he's maybe a little too serious. Like it would even almost rub off on Harry and make him more anxious. He'd probably be giving him tips the entire time and it's like too much. Right. Like, exactly. Just, like let it be. And then there's Molly who we all know Molly would be probably the worst choice as much as we love her. Too much fussing, too much worry yeah. herself. It would just like... So like, and then there's Arthur, who's just loving his muggles, who's <laughs> showing him around the ministry, it's staying like, calm, but also realizing the importance of getting him down there and also giving tips. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like he just, which is why him and his son having such a rift is so upsetting. So Anna, uh, I don't know if you've heard her recently on this podcast, <laughs> but we've kind of had a debate uh, a couple chapters ago where we jen and julie and i had a debate over which argument was worse harry versus ron and hermione during their reunion at grimald place or the off page the second hand telling of the fight that we had between arthur and percy and the position of jen and julie was that harry's argument or I guess just yelling at Ron and Hermione was worse than the fight that essentially broke up a family. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to spin your opinion. <laughs> you I, clearly, I think it's Percy and Arthur. Opinion. No, there's, there's just no question in my mind. Like, I, I don't really understand how you can even try and compare the two. They're so completely different to me. Arthur and Percy, to me, is very clearly worse. How so? What what makes you think the arts? The Arthur and Percy. Well, like you said, it's essentially breaking up a family. Percy is now living in London, not speaking to anybody. He's not even in the family pictures anymore. Molly cries whenever I was gonna say, he's it, it, it somewhat mentioned. The effect it has that, like, um, Arthur breaks anything he's holding when he's brought up. The effect somebody, Molly accidentally brought up Percy at dinner harry's first night at grimald place and everybody just froze and it's just it's heartbreaking when a family is torn apart and the things that percy said to arthur i i can't fathom saying that to my dad and like not even when you were a teenager because of percy's percy is 18 by now 18 19 yeah no i can't fathom saying that to my dad one my dad would have not um accepted <laughs> me saying something like that um but also just and i don't know maybe i'm biased with you know not having my dad anymore but like how do you just like throw those personal attacks and then just walk out so not like so unrepentant 
and just like what if they never get they're entering a war like does percy really not believe harry like i guess we don't know for sure one way or another he obviously thinks molly and arthur are wrong for choosing dumbledore's side over fudges but does he really not believe harry that voldemort is back which i would have all sorts of thoughts about but assuming let's let's say he does think okay maybe voldemort's back but even if he doesn't he knows Molly and Arthur are in the Order of the Phoenix. What if they never heal this rift? What if, what if your dad dies in whatever coming war he's getting himself into and Percy has broken the family and has no way of ever trying to make up for it? He doesn't know what's going to happen. Right. Like, to me, that's so much worse than a 15-year-old shouting at his two best friends in the world and it's over in five minutes. Yeah. But I also have a lot of disagreements with Julie and John on that that we can talk about later, too. But You want to save those for the spoiler section? That's fine. Okay, we can save those for the spoiler section. Right as we're leaving, uh, or right as we're in Arthur's office, we get Perkins coming, coming in. Perkins. And he's very exasperated. And he's like, I've been looking everywhere for you. Uh, they changed the time and the venue of this hearing. Uh, you're already like, I think Arthur checks his clock or his watch or whatever. And he's like, we're already five yeah. minutes late. <laughs> like we got a bolt. Good first impression. <sighs> it's Poor interesting. Harry. What an awful way to like go into the hearing panting after a mad dash. None of this is good. No. Which the next chapter is called the hearing. So we can get into the, all of the aspects of the hearing. Cause Anna will be back for that chapter as well. So We'll get into the aspects of the hearing then and the venue change because yeah. that's a whole vibe. For sure. I think we'll pause it here and then we'll get into the spoiler section where we have some discussions to be had. We're going to continue with the the Percy, Arthur, Harry, Ron, Hermione debate and you have a bunch that you want to get to from other things and um, there's an interesting name dropped in this chapter there is. Uh, that I totally forgot. I did too existed in this book so um we'll get to that too so we'll be right back with the spoiler section all right so we are back with the spoiler section of chapter seven the ministry of magic and before we get into all of the the heavier debates and such uh we do want to mention that there was a name dropped in this chapter uh we don't get the first name but it's rufus scrim scrimjor scrimgor scrim uh, how I think are it's you? a soft g scrimjor scrimjor we're gonna go with scrimjor for right now <laughs> Um, but, uh, obviously he <laughs> becomes quite a big yeah, figure. A big deal. Yeah. Um, and in the break, we were debating his rise to minister of magic, but we think, cause his position is not mentioned here, but he's obviously in the aura office. So head of or he's gotta be the, the head, head or at this point, yeah. which will then lead to head of magical law enforcement, which will then lead to the minister of magic role, which seems to be a Fairly common track to the Minister of Magic, I feel like. Except Barty Crouch didn't take that route yeah, I don't when think he Cornelius tried. Cornelius Fudge was an or. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's pray. That'd be terrifying. I don't, know, I don't know why I feel like that seems to be like a good stepping stone. But I don't know. I don't know why I feel like that now, but I just do. I mean, I guess historically... When you're either coming out of a war or going into a war, the world seems to like to put like a military type, like a general kind of in charge. Yeah, yeah. So, 
so are we equating him to Eisenhower? Is that what we're doing? I'm thinking Grant more, but yeah, Interesting. I guess Eisenhower. Okay, well, he was my second all, thought. For all of our international listeners, <laughs> we're sorry. Um, but anyway, uh, he, he obviously becomes a big figure. And I, I personally, I think me and you have had debates on him as a character Probably, yeah, at, at points. Sure. And we'll get into some some Rufus debates because I think he's a more interesting character than a lot of people actually take him I for. think there will be a lot to debate in a few particular chapters when Half-Blood Prince comes around. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's his prime book, but... He has a couple moments early in Deathly Hallows that I think are very poignant. But, yeah, it's... He's an interesting character, and he's only really... I, I was stunned that he was mentioned here. I, like, I did not I, remember I did that not at all. I remember that at all, for sure. That was a good name drop. Yep. Before we get into the debates. Yes. Eric the Security Guard. Where was <laughs> We're back he? To Eric the yes, Security Guard. Because, no, but this is like a real point. Okay. When Your first the one was six a real point, too. Underage wizards and witches break into the Ministry of Magic to rescue Sirius Black at the end of this novel. Where is Eric the Security Guard? Why is there no security guard whatsoever? Okay. Like, like, they clearly were all given badges for a rescue mission as they came down the visitor's entrance. Why was there no staff anywhere Uh, in the Ministry of Magic? uh, Because I think there were some other things at play going on there. Uh, Some other people were also knocking at the door of the Ministry of Magic. Lucius took out, oh no, is there the security guard dead? Now there's real concern for Eric the security guard. Okay, here's how I think this goes. You have two voices in the room. You have Bellatrix, who's like, Mm. yeah, let's just take him out. And then you have Lucius, who's like, we could just tell him to take the night off. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to kill everybody, Bellatrix. There's other ways to accomplish the same goals. (laughs) Oh, gosh. um, (laughs) I think there are those two voices. What a great picture. When that mass breakout happens, I think that's essentially Lucius's role as the quote-unquote leader of the Death Eaters at that point mm, is like yeah. corralling the crazy. Which is what like he the... clearly actually was not good enough at. Oh, 100%. No, he was, yeah, he was not a good, no. no. Not good corralling. Of course, there was some real Lodging. crazy. There was a lot of crazy there that he had to rein in, but, you know, whatever. Just add Barty Crouch Jr. that mix, and then that's a whole thing. Oh, my yeah, gosh. That's an mix. Speaking of explosive mixes, okay. uh, we get this explosion of Harry at Ron and Hermione. Mm. And we, you and I, are on uh, the same page as far as... Shocking. I know. Yes, we're, we not, we're not always on the same page, necessarily. Or same page, <laughs> different paragraph. <laughs> that's okay. That's fine. But we are on the same page here. And for the record, uh, most of the people listening, at least that have participated in the polls, agree with us about Arthur and Percy. As it sits right now, I think it's 19 to 11 uh, in favor of Arthur and Percy being the worst fight. It's actually closer than I would have. It's a little closer than I would have. The poll, by the way, is still open on that chapter uh, on Spotify. And it will be open for a long time because we kept it open for a long, long time. Uh, so if you want to have your input, uh, go to Spotify under Chapter 4, Number 12 Grimwall Place, and you will find that poll. Choose wisely. <laughs> choose wisely, choose correctly. So, yeah, we mentioned some of Jen and Julie's points about how um, the idea that Harry was taking out 
all of his anger on Ron and Hermione, and they were just kind of taking it, versus Arthur and Percy kind of both dishing out. And I I am of the opinion that both people having an input in it makes that argument larger. Well, especially when you have a father-son, like any sort of relationship, but a father-son relationship is this particular instance where you know the barbs to throw that will yeah. hit home. Yeah. You had a really good point when we were talking, and you just mentioned it. We don't always agree, you and I. And we do more than we seem like we do on the podcast. The, but not always, yes. That is very true. We got through a whole week of Disney, not <laughs> one argument. It was fine. We agreed on pretty much everything, I think. It was it was a weird time. Uh, <laughs> I felt very lost. <laughs> but yeah, so we've had our disagreements and we've had our disagreements on this podcast. Mm-hmm. One of our more inflammatory ones was the Trelawney debate yeah. from, from so Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, but you made the great point in our pre-episode talk that I think we even yelled at each other. If you go back to that episode, I think we mm-hmm. actually raised yes. our voices at each other. Yeah, no, it got pretty intense. And here's some behind-the-scenes knowledge. Anna will listen to episodes and give me her unfiltered <laughs> feedback as to whether I am right or wrong on a topic. And she will let rip. Uh, and I will defend myself. Yes. And that's okay. Like she'll she doesn't break our friendship. She'll come at me hard, and that's okay. And uh, I understand that Harry Potter is not a be all and end all <laughs> as far as friendships go. So I'm okay, and we move on, and whatever, and we go hang out, and we grab a drink, and it's fine. And that happens sometimes amongst friends, and as long as it doesn't turn personal, and you start saying stuff that you can't shrug off mm-hmm. or you can't take back and then that becomes this thing that only grows and only becomes much more malignant to a relationship that's where i think it becomes a problem and i don't think anything harry said yes it was aggressive yes it was too much and yes it was the wrong way to handle that situation but he's a 15 year old kid and he doesn't have a grasp on all of that yet percy and arthur are to your point much more knowledgeable about mm-hmm. what ticks the other one has, and they went well, right for him. And as far as the wizarding world is concerned, they're both grown men. Yep. Percy is of age. He's mature enough. He he's knows smart. What he's he's a smart kid. Yeah. And Arthur, obviously. But yeah, I think it's a little bit more surprising from Arthur, given how we just raved about how calm he is. Well, I like to imagine that Arthur start, started out calmly. Like, I imagine he started out being, like, trying to present it in, like, a fatherly advice type way. But it hurt Percy's feelings. Percy got defensive, and then it grew from there. Right. Yeah. So, it's an interesting debate to have. And uh, I know Jen and Julie want to come on and, and talk about it again. Well, I just have all sorts of problems, too, with... I mean, compare debate which fight you think is worse. Okay. I, I still am going to stick by the worst is Percy and Arthur. But a lot of the points and the things that upset Jen and Julie about the fight amongst the trio, I just don't flat out agree with either. I don't know where to begin. Okay. Um, I guess one of the big points is I think 
it was mentioned that Harry is yelling at the wrong people, that Ron and Hermione aren't responsible for the things that Harry's upset about. And okay, kind of, sure. Harry just suffered what I would argue is the most traumatic traumatic experience of his life. Like, yes, he was raised an orphan. Yes, his parents were killed when he was one years old, but he doesn't have actual memories of that. We've talked before, this was like Cedric dying like right next to him. He witnessed a murder exactly. from the man who betrayed his parents to resurrect the man who wants to kill him and wanted to kill his parents. Was physically injured big time, escaped that Tortured? All. Like, so... <laughs> There's so much there. It, yeah. Which we so, can't comprehend, thankfully. But then thankfully, after, we can't comprehend all exactly, of that. Exactly. I don't want to ever be able to comprehend all of that. But then after all of that trauma, he's sent back to a house by himself where he was, we've talked before, basically abused his entire life. And he's all by himself. Nobody's telling him anything. And okay, I'm not, I don't think Harry is even looking for a long letter filled with all the confidential information that could be intercepted via owl. I think Harry's just looking for some acknowledgement, some like, hey, we know you're all by yourself and we can't take you anything, but hey, we're working on getting you to where we are. Just like acknowledge that Ron and Hermione could have done that. I think the reason he yelled so much and all the issues that are taken is just that like he hasn't found any sort of coping mechanisms yet. Like we talked at the beginning of the episode, Harry's angst throughout the book. This is where I'm okay with his angst and his upset because it's just happened. It's still so fresh. And then he was abandoned all by himself by the two people he cares most in the world, Ron and Hermione. So he lets it out. And you know what? He, you brought up the excellent point. He's 15 years old. I don't blame him for yelling at them so much when he's 15. And the other point, I love I love you, Jen and Julie, but you kept saying that Ron and Hermione were repeatedly apologizing over and over and over again. I promise you, I triple checked. So the argument begins on page 62. Then there's five pages of part of it is Harry yelling. And a lot of it is what I read as Ron and Hermione just coming up with a lot of very defensive excuses for why they couldn't tell Harry anything. Okay, that's Dumbledore. Okay, that's a big, you know, reason for not telling him anything. But they never apologize. Ron actually never apologizes. But as soon as Hermione apologizes, which, by the way, is on page 66, Harry stops shouting. All the capital letters and shouty caps, they're all gone. Harry's done. He actually stops belaying the point and that's when he starts asking for information about what's going on with Voldemort what's going on what is the order where are they and that's the end of it as soon as Hermione apologizes he's done yes I completely agree Harry could eventually apologize to them for shouting so he's a nice thing to do and I, I think the I think what we're forgetting is I think she writes him very realistically Mm -hmm. Like some of the vindictive thoughts that he has, I think are just human. Yeah. Like you just have the. And I think that's even kind of a trauma response. Yeah. Because again, he hasn't found coping mechanisms yet. And this is where I was kind of hinting at at the beginning. He never finds coping mechanisms until Half-Blood Prince. Like, I feel like he could have done a better job with the people who are surrounding him of finding coping mechanisms throughout this book. He's also but... trapped, like, like you mentioned in the Dursleys. 
he's literally trapped in nothing but a mind of prison because mm-hmm. all he has is him and his thoughts. Right. Yes. Which yes. is the worst place to be. Exactly. Because yeah. nothing good comes from that ever. Never. And now mm-hmm. you've made a bad situation in your head exponentially worse. And you just relive it constantly. And I'm sorry, maybe it's not a great thing, but when you're presented with the two, it's not Ron and Hermione's fault. None of it is. But those are the two people he loves most in the world. Those are the two people he trusts most in the world. So it makes sense to me that those are the people who he's going to throw all of that anger at. It's not fair, but trauma is not fair. So, and I know that the level of hate that Harry gets sometimes, and I have been... I know, I don't like how often you call him an idiot. Uh, Yeah, I have thrown <laughs> some shade his way, for sure. I, I will accept that. But let's be real about it for a second now. Ron and Hermione aren't perfect people either. Of course, nobody is. They've had their moments mm-hmm. in these first couple of books that are you could point to them being like, whoa, you are not being a good friend right now. Yeah. Ron is awful to Hermione throughout the, yep. the whole first book. He is. <laughs> really bad, like Ron's to the point bad. of like bullying. He's also really bad to Harry in Goblet of Fire. Yeah. Worse to Hermione, much worse. And, and Hermione, yes. I will grant her, has less of those moments. Still has those moments. She does. And we don't know how either of them would have handled what Harry just went through. Exactly. Which, who knows? And you don't know. You and... don't know. There's no way to know. Yeah. What we do know of them, I personally would make an argument neither of them would have made it out of that graveyard, but I would hope I would be wrong. But there's just no way to know how they would handle that if they had to live through that like Harry did. Yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot of nuance. Obviously, we get the full blast of that interaction, and the Percy Arthur thing is secondhand. So we don't see how that unfolds and how vicious that got. we're going to see how it unfolds throughout the next few books. It doesn't get better. And you were hinting at like, well, what if this is the last time Arthur and Percy interact because of what is potentially coming? What eventually brings them back together is a really heartbreaking moment for the family. And, and, you know, Percy does make a choice before that point. I was going to say, it is a little surprising he didn't. When Arthur gets attacked in this book, it's a little surprising. Percy, that doesn't bring him back into the fold a little bit more, but maybe it's because Arthur survives. Maybe. Who knows what Arthur, what Percy is going through when that attack happens. He works really hard at the ministry. He puts himself forward a lot. Like, I'm sure he genuinely was really excited about a promotion, thinking mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to get my life on track. I'm not going to be living in the borough like i'm and maybe he would have been a little more receptive to the idea that hey maybe this wasn't entirely garnered on your own if the family initial response was a little bit more excitement for him be like oh wow congrats percy let him have his little moment and be like so have you ever thought like did fudge tell you exactly how you got this like you're not worried you're you being used as a spy Maybe it still happens. Maybe it is a little better taken. Getting away from the debate for just a little bit, but what do you think that... So, obviously, Ginny's a kid. Ron is a Mm -hmm. kid. The twins, close to being adults, but still technically in school. They're they're on that line. Where do you think Bill and Charlie are on this? Do you think they reached out to Percy and are like, hey, what is going on? 
like, because you know Percy, he looks up to them on some level because he worked so hard at Hogwarts to try to match their sterling reputations. So he knows they're legit. I never thought of Percy working so hard to excel at Hogwarts as him trying to meet their level. I've always viewed Percy as he wants to get to the best level that he can because he just wants. You think it's his own ambition? It's his ambition to the point that I think he envisions a better life for himself that growing up in the borough, struggling for money, the second down clothes, the hand-me-down clothes. I think his goal has always been to, I think he also just loves to learn, but I think he wants to succeed beyond that. And he let a little bit too much of that out in the argument with Arthur. He was cruel in the way he presented that ambition. I can see Bill and Charlie reaching out to him, but I think they got no response. Kind of like how Molly tried to go up to London to talk to him and he wouldn't even open the door. You don't think Percy would even entertain a conversation with... No, because I think if he had entertained the conversation, well, maybe because Ron goes to Bill when he leaves them on the the camping trip and Bill doesn't tell any of the other family. He doesn't throw Ron under the bus to just be brutalized for leaving Ron and, or Harry and Hermione. So maybe, maybe Bill's been in communication. My only, the reason I don't is because Bill is so quick to when Percy gets mentioned accidentally by Mrs. Weasley at dinner, Bill is the one who gets everybody back on track and things moving again. So I feel like Bill is focused on as the oldest child trying to keep his parents. specifically Trying to keep everything together. together. I think, and I know I've, that's the first time I think I've ever really considered, like, what's Bill and Charlie's role in this? Which maybe Bill and Charlie are just as mad in a mature way, just as mad at Percy of being like, hey, man, cool. We wanted to better ourselves, too. But you don't do that to dad. Yeah. And so maybe they're just as disappointed in him. and They don't really, you know, they're going to let Percy fix it on his own. I mean, I get Charlie's abroad. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's detached we know the from least this about him too, right? How he would handle something like personality that. and yeah. the whole bit, yeah. So you know, Bill being there, I think he's got to take that kind of leadership role, and he's probably he's probably in that uncomfortable position. And I feel like you've been in this position, and I've been in this position, and other people have been in this position where it's like, at a certain age, mm-hmm. parents start leaning on you a little bit to sure. start, you know, get let in to the drama and the dynamics a little bit more of what's going on in the family or what's going on, you know, around their atmosphere. And it's never comfortable, but you always have to somehow weather it. Yeah. And I think Bill's a a wonderful example of how you could weather it because I think he's got all the the characteristics to do it well. He seems a very just even-keeled ship. Like, he just rides out any waves nobody ever really gets upset with bill and no bill doesn't really other than molly about people. his ponytail <laughs> but <laughs> and the earring yeah <laughs> i i think especially with bill being like at green and having that 
academic status at Hogwarts for so long, I think Percy would look at him and be like, that's closer to what I want to be than like Arthur. Oh, agreed. You know? Um, Agreed. But yeah, I I think it's an interesting, I just never thought of Bill and Charlie's role in this whole thing until no, now. Me neither. But it's an interesting question. And obviously, we know the twins' perspective being close to that adult line, and their relationship with Arthur is very close. Yes. Uh, so they are aggressively defensive. Are very tight, but they also were always the cruelest to Percy too. True. They're the ones who are saying the things of like, "Oh, no, great loss," and you know. I think Percy's never been super fond of them either. How could you be? Uh, like it's like a it's a whole thing. Things like that. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's a whole always, back and forth. Yeah. Like that's a chicken and the egg thing. Like I don't <laughs> know what really started that. <laughs> that could be like a circular, never ending. Uh, so yeah. Uh, do you have any other comments either on the Arthur Percy Harry Ron Hermione thing or any other general? I don't think so. It's it's a lot. Let us know what you guys think about all of it. Participate in the poll. Yeah. Uh, that's your way of directly telling us. Other than commenting on Twitter, you're always welcome to comment on Twitter, Instagram. This is one of our more personal polls. Yeah, it, it's a little insight as to kind of where you're at on, yeah. the, on the whole dynamic. You'd also comment on Spotify and we will give you a shout out and we will let Jen and Julie know what, <laughs> what you think. Because they're very anxious to get back on and get back into this. So, but yeah. I think that's uh, that'll wrap this episode up, and we will get on to Chapter 8, The Hearing. Woo! So we will be right back next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye! Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Pod.